God's wrath is finally kindled against his rebellious nation. Jerusalem falls, and the people of God are sent far away. On the Bible Brief. Want more Bible learning content like this? Sign up for our email learning series and follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes to this episode. God's faithfulness is not only to his promises. This is something that we have to keep in mind as we read our Bibles. Just as God's faithfulness is proven when he makes a promise come to fruition, so also his faithfulness is proven when he brings to pass a judgment. This is especially seen in the Sinai Covenant. Remember back in Deuteronomy 28, as Moses brings his great speech to the nation to a conclusion. He says two important things, blessings and curses. He said to them that blessing in the land of Canaan is available for Israel if they would only obey the law that God had given to them. Yet curses away from the land are assured if the people rebel against God like their fathers had done in the wilderness. God's faithfulness would be expressed in either event. In blessing, God would show his abundant provision to the people. In cursing, God would show his severe judgment upon their sin. The only thing that wouldn't demonstrate God's faithfulness would be inaction in the face of Israel's obedience or inaction in the face of Israel's disobedience. The faithfulness of God to the Sinai Covenant would mean either blessing or cursing. There would be no third option. Since God's faithfulness is shown not only in blessing but also in cursing, we should perhaps ask ourselves this question. What will the ever-faithful God do now that his nation has rebelled against him for generations stacked on generation? What will God do now that Israel has burned children upon altars to false gods? What will God do when they abandon the law in favor of doing what is right in their own eyes? The answer is easy, though perhaps uncomfortable. God would curse them. He would cast them from the land of Canaan, and fulfill all the curses that he had pronounced upon them. God is faithful in his promises, and he's also faithful in his judgments. He had been patient for century on century, but now the judgment had finally piled up to action. Israel would be cast out and cursed. We read this from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, concerning the final days of the kingdom of Judah. The king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. 
God's anger is slow to kindle. But once it's hot, it burns with a righteous retribution. God had been patient for years and years, but now there was no remedy. Nothing could stop what was coming, and nothing could now forestall the judgment that God had announced first through Moses, on to Jeremiah in the present day. Nothing could stop it. God would now use another nation to defeat his own people. Babylon had been ascendant for years, as the power of Assyria waned in the Middle East. Assyria struggled to maintain control over its territories, and the rebellious area of Babylon and Chaldea finally had a breakthrough. Paired up with forces to the north from Media, the Babylonians began aggressively taking territory from the Assyrians, until the once great empire was in ashes. In 605 BC, the Assyrians were defeated at Carchemish, and in 605 BC, the judgment of God began to fall upon his people. Just as Isaiah had first expressed to Hezekiah about a hundred years before, Babylon had its sights on Judah. The first incursion of Babylon into Judah was the same year of Assyrian defeat, 605. And in that incursion, God used Babylon to deport many Jews from the Promised Land. The second incursion was in 597 BC, when the craftsmen and mighty men were deported as well. But the final and third incursion in 586 BC would mean the greatest devastation upon the land, upon Jerusalem, and upon the temple of God. Next we read, Therefore God brought up against Judah the king of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians who killed Judah's young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into Babylon's hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of the Lord, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its places with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword. The devastation announced for so many years had finally come to pass, and the monumental event would be seared into the memories of the people forever. They were taken away from the promised land of Canaan. They were cursed by God for their disobedience. They were a small scattered people instead of a great and populous nation. They were experiencing the curses of the Sinai Covenant those awful pronouncements that should have induced fear and repentance, but were finally experienced by the culmination of so many rebellious generations. Blessing in the land had turned to cursing away from the land. The nation so long ago delivered by God from Egyptian servitude was now exiled to Babylonian servitude. Abraham's nation was now a scattered people across many nations. And in many ways, it seemed that the end had come in the Israelite saga. It seemed that the reverse of the Davidic covenant had happened, despite God's promise. They didn't experience a dynasty, a throne, and an everlasting king. Instead, David's line was deposed. The kingdom was in ashes. And an everlasting king was nowhere to be found. 
It seemed that the reverse of the Abrahamic covenant had happened despite God's promise. They didn't experience the land, seed, and blessing. Instead, they experienced exile, death, and cursing. A great inversion due to the judgment of God on His rebellious people. The promises that only 400 years ago were within the grasp of the nation through their great King David were now promises slipping away into impossibility. Never in history had a nation reconstituted after such an event. Never in history had a people been so defeated to return to victory once again. Never. But God rules over history. God is king over all nations and king over all kings. And this God is the one who watches over Israel. This God looks at history with all its predictability and says, Now I'll do something that no one could predict. I'll take my nation and I'll bring them back. I'll do something that's never been done before. So through Jeremiah, God says this to his exiles. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, and bring you back to this place. God is not done with the nation of Israel, and God's promises are not dead. Just as He is faithful in His judgments, His faithfulness to His promises will never end. Instead, the promises are carried with the people into a new era, an era away from the promised land and back in the land of Abraham's youth, an era bereft of the blessings of Canaan while serving foreigners, an era where new seeds are planted for the next great epic of the Bible story. Seventy years were announced by Jeremiah, and for seventy years those promises would be cherished by the exiled people. The promises, though distant, are as sure as God. The seed of the woman will come to defeat the serpent, that enemy of the human race. The seed of Abraham will come to defeat his enemies and bless all the nations of the world. The seed of David will forever reign on David's throne in the promised land. The great priest king of the Bible will come as the servant of God, dying for sin. And finally, God will make a new covenant with his people. A covenant not like the one written on tablets of stone, but one of a greater glory written on the human heart. God is faithful to his promises, and even in his people's exile, he's working toward their fulfillment. Nations will move, empires will rise, the pride of emperors will be dashed. The people may be away from the land, but the gears of history are working toward the main event. An event still centuries away, with more promises to be given through the prophets of God. Promises only to be revealed in exile.
The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023